and uh, and bring us to the altar this morning. Amen. God bless you. I was going to take your bow. All right. Thanks. Okay. Thank you, Pastor, again for allowing us to come for this opportunity to speak. And um, how many of you have ever found that in life you face difficult times? I have to tell a secret about myself. I faced probably the, one of the most difficult times in my ministry about a year and a half ago, somewhere around there. And um, through much prayer and through a lot of things that happened, God taught me some different lessons. I've wondered what they were looking at. They're looking at our picture up there. Um, but God taught me a lot of lessons, and today I'd like to just share with you, if I could, some of the lessons that I learned. And hopefully these lessons will, will touch your heart, and, and God will use these things that He's taught me to, to teach you something and to maybe bring you through a circumstance or a situation that you're going through in your own life. If you would, how many of you have ever heard of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000? If you'll turn with me to John chapter 6, John chapter 6, Begin with verse number 5. Jesus is talking to his disciples. A crowd has begun to follow them. And if you read Matthew's and Luke's Gospels on the, same, um, on the same miracle, it says that this crowd has been following them now for about three days. That they're hungry, that they're tired. Um, and, and God now asks his disciples a, a question. And you'll see this in verse number 6. It says that when Jesus looked up and he saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. I'm so amazed at God sometimes. I believe that many times in our lives we go through circumstances and we go through different things because what God is trying to do is he's trying to bring us to a different level. The scripture in Luke says that the disciples had just come off of a missionary journey themselves where they had gone out um, and they had seen the blind healed, they had seen the, the lame walk, they had seen demon possessed freed, and they come back and now Jesus has another test for them. He already knows that he's going to feed 5,000 men plus women and children. He already knows he's going to take care of it, but he wants to see the response of the disciples. How many of you remember Abraham? He waited 25 years for his son to be born, the heir that had been promised to him to be born. And after this heir is born and it has grown up a, a, to be a few years old, uh, God says to Abraham, take this, this child, take Isaac, your, your loved, your, the one you've been waiting for so long, take him up to the mountain and have him killed. And the Bible says God did this to test him. I believe that there are circumstances there are times that we go through where God is trying to test the church to bring us up to a better level, to bring us up to a stronger level in faith because God wants to use His church to change the world. And if you get nothing else out of what I'm going to say today, I want you to get this word. 
The things in our lives that seem like impossible circumstances, those things that seem to be the most difficult in our lives, are nothing more than for an opportunity for God to reveal himself through us to the world. Your difficult, your most difficult circumstance, the most difficult thing that you're going through in life as you follow Christ is nothing more than an opportunity for him to do something through you to the world. And I want to share with you this morning, if I can, um, some lessons that I learned in life. And um, I want you to know that our destiny is shaped, our destiny is shaped by whether or not we seize these God-ordained opportunities that come into our lives. That's the way our destiny is formed, by whether or not we seize the test that God brings into us as an opportunity. And I want to share with you three Three lessons that I have learned in my life that over the next last couple of years, three life, life lessons that I'd like to share with you. And the first one is this. You don't let the things that you can't do keep you from doing the things that you can. You don't let the things you can't do keep you from doing what you can. One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is the story of one of the judges. And now right now in your mind, you're thinking, is it Samson, or is it Gideon, or is it Deborah, right? You're going through all those judges in your mind right now trying to figure out which one is my favorite. Well, my favorite is Shamgar. And some of you are saying, who is Shamgar? He's mentioned twice in two different scriptures, but the scripture that he's mostly mentioned is in chapter 3, the last verse of chapter 3 of the book of Judges, and it simply says this. And Shamgar slew 600 Philistines with an ox goad. Now I have to, when I read the Bible or when I hear the Bible, my, my wife and I are on this thing where we listen to 10 chapters audio each day. And when I listen to it, I have to picture things in my mind. Does anybody else do that besides me? I have to picture what's being said. And I picture Shamgar standing out in this field with this ox goat. He just plowed this field, and he's standing out there with this ox goat in his hand. He looks off across the field, and there's 600 Philistines coming down on him. They've got their armor on. They've got their shields. They've got their horses, their chariots, you know, their weapons of mass destruction, and they're bearing down on him real quickly. And I can almost imagine Shamgar with that ox goat in his hand looking out and saying, what had I just get myself into? But you know what it says? Shamgar didn't have much. There wasn't a lot he could do, but he used what he had, and he did what he could. And it says this in the last part of that verse. It says, and he too saved Israel. When we learn to use what we have and do what we can, God will turn the impossible into an opportunity to reach the world. When Lori and I, nine years ago, I look back and I, we laugh sometimes as we sit around. Nine years ago when we left for, for Poland, um, we got to Poland and um, we didn't know the language. We didn't know the culture. And as a matter of fact, while we were still on furlough studying, or getting ready to go, um, we didn't know, I wanted to find out a little bit about it, not knowing the language or the culture. And so I began to, um, to read some statistics on Poland. And I found out that through reading those statistics that there is only about 1% of the Polish nation that is born again. Out of 38.5 million people, there are 38.5 million people, there's only about 35,000 of them that are actually Christians. And actually, when I, when I began to study those statistics, I got a little bit depressed. And I said to God, I said, God, what good does it do for me to go to Poland and to, to you know, when only less than 1% of the nation is saved, what good would it do for one person to go to 40 million people and tell them about Jesus? 
And you know what? Jesus encouraged me, not through his word, but in a real strange way. I was in Hamtramck one day, in Hamtramck, Detroit, and I was in this um, souvenir shop, and I picked up this book on the legends of Poland. And I began to leaf through this book, and I found a, 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 a legend on their first king who was called Mieszko I. And it said, about, it said this about the king. It said that he was born blind. And at his coming-of-age birthday party... Some strangers came in, and they touched his forehead, and he miraculously received his sight. Mieszko's father um, asked those people around him, those wise people in his court, and he said, what does this mean? I don't understand this. My son is born blind, and now at his, his coming-of-age party, he sees. What does this mean? And this is, listen to what they said. Today, this means that today Poland is divided, and today Poland is in darkness, but one day a great light will come to our nation. Now that wasn't the Bible, but that was such an encouragement to me that I, I thought as we went to Poland, you know what, maybe we're a chance to bring the light of Jesus Christ one more time to that nation. God wants to use us as people to bring light to the world. And even though it may seem very difficult, and, and even though it may seem like we're living in times where everyone is turning away from God, I want you to know that God still takes those opportunities, or those, those things that seem difficult, and turns them into opportunities when we seize them. So we get to Poland. We don't know the language. We don't know the culture. And I'm kind of ADHD. I don't know, I'm kind of like this all the time. My wife can't set me down and keep me still. I'm just one of those guys. That's why I like yelling at the kids at spiritual warfare camp. So we get there, and I'm sitting around the first week, and I said, Lord, I've got to do something. We don't know the language. I can't preach. You know, I, I, don't, I can't do much. We've got to do something. And so I began to do what I could with what I had. And the first job that I did, my first very most spiritual opportunity that I had was to mow lawn for the Bible school. And so for that first week, I got out there, and I mowed the lawn. The second week came along, I went out there and mowed the lawn. The third week came along, Lori helped me, she began to pluck weeds, and I began to mow lawn. And, and that was our spiritual journey, our, our spiritual opportunity that we had to, to win pulling for the gospel. But God used that opportunity because we gained a relationship with the Bible school president, and we began to build a building a few years later. A couple years later, we began to build a building. And today there are 150 students in that building that are learning about Jesus Christ, that are going to shed the, share the gospel of Jesus Christ to Poland. Because when you do what you can with what you have, God changes the world. Seize the opportunities that God gives you because those are God-ordained opportunities. The second lesson that I learned is this. Is, the second lesson is this, is if you wait for the perfect condition to seize an opportunity, you'll be waiting until the day you die. I've got a little video. I hope it plays. I want you to kind of get an idea of what I'm saying. Can you play that video? Will that show? May I turn the volume up just a little bit? Such a feeling's coming over me. There is wonder in most everything I see. Not a cloud in the... Oops. Can we go back? Oh. oh, you missed it. I guess. Okay, give me a second. It's to illustrate my point that if you wait, you know, if you, if you, there we go. Such a feeling's coming over me. There is wonder in most. 
against everything I see. Not a cloud in the sky, got the sun in my eyes, and I won't be surprised if it's a dream. I'm on the top of the world. This is the end. Beautiful friend. This is the end. My only friend. The end of our elaborate plans. The For perfect conditions to seize an opportunity, you'll wait until the day you die. Moses leads the children through the desert for a number of weeks or months. He gets to the border of the promised land. And God says to Moses, He says, I want you to send 12 spies into the promised land. Who can name the 12 spies? Anybody? I bet I can tell you how many you can name. You know why? Because the other ten were waiting for perfect conditions. They all went into that promised land, and they all um, discovered it was exactly what God had said. When they came back, if you hear part A of their report, all twelve of them chime in together and they say this. They said, the land is exactly what God said it would be. They said, the land is flowing with milk and honey. The land has the, it has the fruit, it has the vegetables, it has houses for us to take, to take over, it has um, buildings and castles and, and fortresses. Everything is there just like God said it would be. But ten of them stepped back and they said, the conditions are not right. The conditions aren't perfect. I think we should wait 40 more years in the desert. That's what they said. I mean, they didn't add the last part. Because if you learn and we wait until the conditions are perfect, we'll be waiting until the day we die. Because God wants us to go through those conditions because He wants to teach us a lesson. In the early 12th um, century, a man by the name of Kublai Khan, how many of you have ever heard of Genghis Khan? It would have been the grandson of Genghis Khan. His name was Kublai Khan. He sent a letter to the church in Rome through Pope Gregory, the Pope Gregory X asking for him to send hundreds of spiritual leaders and missionaries to China. Hundreds. And he says, quote, I will be baptized and then all of my leaders will be baptized into the Christian faith. But I need you to send um, all these people to come so that my country can be awakened to the gospel of Jesus. Marco Polo took the letter, delivered it to Pope Gregory X, and Pope Gregory X responded by sending two monks to China. 
Those monks journeyed that long journey back to China from, from Italy. They went a long ways, and when they got to Armenia, their shoes had wore out. They had not taken enough food. Their bread was moldy, it says. And because the conditions weren't perfect, they gave up. And because of that, one of the greatest revivals never reached China. If we wait for perfect conditions to seize an opportunity, we'll wait until the day we die. That's what I love about this scripture, because if you read a little bit farther, Andrew comes up to Jesus and he says these words. He says, Jesus, he says, I don't have six months wages to feed these people, but what I do have is I have two fish and five barley loaves, and maybe what we can do is we can use this to feed them. You know, we need to have the spirit of Caleb, and we need to have the spirit of Joshua, and we need to have the spirit of Andrew in our lives so that we can seize God-ordained opportunities and change the world. Because God wants to use you. He has a purpose, like I said earlier. He has a purpose for your life, and he wants to use you to change the world. But if we wait for perfect conditions, we'll wait until the day we die. And I love that, that quote from George Bernard Shaw that you just saw. It says that people are always blaming circumstances for the way they are. And I don't believe in circumstances, George Bernard goes on to say. He says, the people who move forward in this world are the people who look for the circumstances they want, and when they can't find them, they make them for themselves. God wants us to seize opportunities. It's nothing more than a test because Jesus already knows what he's going to do. He already knows what he's going to do in our lives. The third thing that I want to learn, I want to share with you, the third lesson that I learned is this. If you want to seize God-ordained opportunities, you have to live in prayer mode. When Lori came up earlier and she shared with you our prayer card, please understand I know that all missionaries, a lot of the missionaries that you have that come in here all have prayer cards, but please understand from my heart, please pray for us. When you leave here today, would you take one of those prayer cards? Would you put it on your, and you could take two or three of them, we don't care, we have plenty. We'll buy more if we have to. Would you put them on your refrigerator? Would you put them in your toolboxes? Would you take them to work? Would you put them in your Bible? And please pray for us because I want you to understand that your money and your, your, money and your support gets us to the field, but it's your prayers that keep us there. We have learned to rely on the prayers of God's people. And sometimes in this day and age that we live in, people have forgotten prayer. But I want you to know that prayer is probably one of the most, most important tools that we have as Christians in reaching God and touching God's heart. How many times have you read in the Bible where God, um, he, he, it says when, where, where God just heard the prayers of his people and he changed the situation? Over and over and over again you'll read that in the Word of God. And Lori and I have come to know that there is nothing more important in our lives than prayer. And we are firm believers in prayer. And please pray for us. And please pray for Poland. As a matter of fact, one of the first things that we did the first time we went out is we bought these little mugs and it says, pray for Poland on it. And I don't know how many times I have people come up to me and they'll say, I still have your mug and I'm still praying for you. Because prayer is so important. And the third life lesson is this, is that, you know, if you want to seize God-ordained opportunities, you have to live in prayer mode. You have to live in prayer mode. That's why we see at the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the first thing that Jesus does when he takes those fish and those loaves of bread from, from Andrew, he, what's he do? He sits down and he blesses them and he prays over them. Because even Jesus recognized that prayer was important in his ministry. Before he even started his ministry, he went up to pray for 40 days and 40 nights. 
You have to learn to seize um, prayer. You have to learn to pray in order to seize opportunities. One of my favorite stories is about Daniel. How many of you have ever heard of Daniel? How many of you know that Daniel was a prayer warrior? The Bible says that he prayed three times a day. And you know what? By him praying three times a day, it led him to some awesome opportunities. My favorite story is the story where he prayed three times a day and all the rest of the leaders got jealous over him and they wanted to have him killed. They wanted to have him destroyed because they were jealous. Because God was answering so many prayers because he was praying three times a day. And so he continued to pray three times a day and it landed him in the most awesome opportunity of his life. Do you know what it was? The lion's den. Now Americans, we said, that can't be right. How can, how can praying three times a day, you know, we have this, we have this men, mental thing because of our movies, our movie industry that if you're the good guy, things always turn out right. Right? Go to Europe and watch some of their movies. 90% of the time the hero dies. And here's Daniel. He's the good guy. He's praying three times a day. He's coding his life. He's, he's bathing his life in prayer. And God says, I've got an opportunity for you, Daniel. You're going to go sleep with the kitty cats. And Daniel finds himself in a dungeon with some, t- uh, some lions. But something must have happened during that night, not only to those lions, but to King Darius. Because why would King Darius, who just stuck Daniel in a den of hungry lions, go back the next morning to see if he was still alive? Why would he do it? I believe that God did something to his heart that night. And Darius goes back to King, or goes back, King Darius goes back to Daniel, who's in this den of lions, because he prayed three times a day, and he's given this opportunity by God. King Darius goes back to him, and he says, Daniel, are you still alive? Now listen to the response. I want you to get this. Daniel chapter 6. Listen to the response. Daniel chapter 6, verses 25 through 28. Then King Darius wrote to all the nations and to all the peoples of every tongue in all the earth. Did you hear what I said? He wrote a letter to every known person on the earth in every language. Listen to what he says to these people. He writes to all, he sends out a missionary letter. Talk about a newsletter. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel. Wow. Listen to what he goes on. For he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. As a matter of fact, he even rescued Daniel from the mouths of those lions. Daniel prays three times a day. God says, I'm going to answer that. I'm going to give you a test. I'm going to give you an opportunity. You get to go be with the lions. And sometimes in our lives, we feel like we're with the lions every day, don't we? Some of you are facing circumstances right now where you feel like, man, I've been in the lion's den. But I want you to know that that is nothing more than an opportunity for God to do something great in your life. Did you see what happened? Because Daniel was obedient. Because Daniel bathed his life in prayer, the known world heard about the God of Daniel. 
How would you like to have the whole known world know about your God? Wouldn't you like to have the whole world know about your God? Bathe your lives in prayer. And I like the last part of that verse. It goes on and it says, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Not only did it affect the world, but it came back to affect Daniel's life as well because the world prospered because it heard about the God of Daniel. But Daniel prospered because he was faithful and he bathed his life. He lived his life in prayer mode. You want to change the world today? You want to change your circumstances today? You want to seize an opportunity that you've never seized before? Live your life in prayer mode and you can see what God will do for you. About... Three years ago now, we had some missionaries from Argentina come to Poland. Um, these missionaries from Argentina um, spoke Spanish. One of the first questions that was asked of me by the director of missions for Europe, Greg Mundus, was, Richard, why would you want to go to Poland and serve there when you already speak Spanish fluently? So now we go to Poland, we're living there now for a number of years, and some missionaries, from some Spanish-speaking missionaries, the Argentina, Asambleas de Dios, the Assemblies of God of Argentina sends missionaries to Poland who do not speak English, they do not speak Polish. And no one in Poland speaks Spanish. Very few people in Poland speak Spanish. Do you think God has this orchestrated? I'm telling you, God plans every detail. Those circumstances are nothing more than opportunities for God to change the world. So they get here, they get to Poland, and I get a chance to translate from Spanish to Polish and talk about, oh man, talk about a mind-boggler. You know, neither one of those two languages are my first language, and it was very difficult at first. I got better as we went, but God began to do some things in our heart. And those missionaries were there about a year, and, and their, their, the, the Argentina dollar, like the American dollar, began to drop against the euro and against the zwote, the Polish money. And so they were living in this apartment. They had a year contract. So as soon as that contract came up to, to, for an end, to, they decided they wanted to move out of that place because they, it was getting too expensive for their budget. And so they began, to, this, was about, this was about two years ago or so, they began to, um, they began to um, um, look for um, a new apartment. And in looking for this new apartment, um, they found a lady online and they went to, they called her up, and they, there was some miscommunication or something because they got to her house and she never showed up. Never showed up. And they thought, well, what are we going to do now, you know? So as they were sitting outside of that house, they were sitting out there, and they began to, 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 to think, God, what do we do? You know, we don't, can't, can't meet the lady. We don't know how to call her. We don't know how to get hold of her. God spoke to him and said, you need to pray over this house. Pray over this lady. And, and Jose, if you listen to him, he tells us this hilarious story. Jose says, we stood out there and we put our hands on the gate and we're, we're praying over this building, so to speak. He's actually praying for the manager, but they're praying over this place. And, and people are walking by and it's in the middle of winter, you know, and people are looking at him like they're crazy. But they're being obedient and they're praying, they're praying over this, um, this house and this thing. And, and, and um, as they're praying, um, they go back home and they think nothing more of it. They can't get a hold of the lady, things don't work out, and they end up renegotiating with the landlord that they have, and, and they stay there. Almost 10 months go by. Lori and I now are in an apartment for nine years in Poland in the same place, and um, our landlord comes to us out of the blue and says, you guys need to move. And we're thinking, um, why? And she says, well, I have this child that's now growing up, and I need a place for her. 
And we're thinking, oh my goodness, we've got all those tools from that building that you just saw being built. You know, I've got places. Um, in Warsaw is not an easy place to find um, a place to live because that's where everybody's coming because the economy in Warsaw is the best type place in Poland. So, so people are there taking up all the housing. And, and Lori and I are worried because how do we move our stuff when we do? And, and the lady goes on, she says, I'll give you a month to move. So Lori and I, we get out and we begin to look for places. We begin, we begin to look for um, houses to, to rent. And um, we find this beautiful house just outside of Warsaw. Beautiful house. The people who built it um, took too long in building it. And their kids grew up and they moved out. And, they had never, and it was too big for them now. And, and they had never lived in it. And they said, we'd like to rent this to you. And so we talked to them. We negotiated on it. And they came within our budget. And we said, this is wonderful. A brand new house. We're missionaries in Poland. We're going to get to live in a brand new house. And it'll be wonderful. And on the night before we went to sign the contract, the guy calls me, or the guy writes me an email and says, I gotta raise the price. And so Lori and I, we went back to praying, and and um, as I prayed, I said, I told God, I said, you know, um, God, that house is beautiful, but I really don't need that house. If you want us to have it, then you know you'll let us renegotiate on it. And so we went back to him, we talked about it, we renegotiated. And again, he raised the price when we went to sign the contract. Finally, I said to the Lord, I said in my prayer, I said, God, if he raises it the third time, we'll know it's three strikes and we're out. Um, we'll know it's not your will. We'll know that you have something different for us, something better, because when God does things, he always does it better. And guess what happened? We went back that third time, and guess what he did? He raised the budget the third time on us. So we said, well, I guess this isn't for us, and so we, now we had two weeks left to find a home, and and you got to understand, Warsaw is not an easy place to find the home that we needed because we had to have a certain size, we had to have it within a, a certain price range. You know, we had to have places to haul to put all those tools and all the camp equipment that we have for all the kids. We had to have a lot of special things going on. And so we were really praying, and and suddenly we found this house on the internet. And so we went to go look at it, and and we went to go look at it. We said, well, it's not exactly what we wanted, but it, it it'll work. It'll be great. We'll take it. And we negotiate with the landlord, and um, she says, um, yep, we'll do it within that price. And so I'm sitting down with her, and I'm signing the contract. And as I'm signing this contract, she says, you know, this apartment's been, or this house, it's a, it's a house apartment, it's been, a vacant, been vacant now for a number of months. She says, and a couple months ago, or a couple weeks ago, she says, I went to my, hor- my astrologer, the, to the horoscope, and I asked them, I asked my astrologer, um, when will I fill this house? And listen to what the astrologer said. When the Americans come, you'll rent the place. I'm signing the contract. I feel the hair on the back of my neck begin to just stand up. Lori, I looked at Lori. I'm, I'm telling you, this is exactly what I said. Lori, we need to go and anoint that place with oil. Now... We didn't do that, but we did go through that house and we began to pray. You know, Lord, if, you know, if there's anything here that we, you know, that we shouldn't should have known about, we didn't. Maybe we missed you, um, Lord. Please help us to to get this right. And we prayed over the place, and um, somehow, for some reason, that landlord took a liking to us. And you got to understand that there's a rule in Poland. Number one rule is every Polish person is Catholic. To be Polish is to be Catholic, is their own phrase. Number two, second rule is, is that um, if you run a business, you do not have relationship with the person that you're running the business with because they'll take advantage of you. 
So right now we had two strikes against this lady because we couldn't really have a relationship with her. Number one, because she was Catholic, and, and you know, if you're a Protestant, you're a cult. Number two is if you have, try to have a relationship with her, she's a businesswoman, and she doesn't want that. But for some reason, this woman took a liking to us. And by the second week, she was in church with us. That's a miracle in itself. And she continued... To kind of, I skip, skip ahead a little bit if you want to that picture. There's a picture, I think, in the end. Um, there's, um, she, this is a picture of her, by the way. Go, go down to the, last, the last, very last picture. I jumped all over today. The very last picture on the slide. Can you get that one? Anyway, Marilka is her name, and you're going to see a picture of her in a minute. She started coming to church with us, and she started coming to church. And, and while we were in Poland, she missed two times. She missed one Sunday because she was sick and she should have been in the hospital. The second time she missed is because she was on vacation. We began to have good time with her. We ended up having some barbecues. I began to help her do some things around her, her, the house there that, that really wasn't part of the contract, but I just did it. And, and she began to develop this relationship where every Thursday or so she would come into our house and just drink coffee with us. And how many of you know that coffee is a great time to tell about Jesus? Lori and I began to pray for her like we'd never prayed before. On February 13th of this year, I'm preaching a service in that church that you saw in that Bible school. I'm preaching a service there. And at the end of that sermon, I have an altar call. And a number of people came up, and I'm praying for people. And as I get to the end, I see Marilka comes up to the very last the very last person on the end, and she's standing over here. And I go to pray for her, and I says, how can I pray for you, Marilka? And she says, I don't want you to pray for me. And I, I'm kind of drawn back a little bit. She says, I want to say something to the people. And then I'm really drawn back, because to think about Marilka, you have to think that she's a woman that's very eccentric. And that's a good way of putting it. She's just a little different woman. But she wanted to talk with the people, and so I looked at Pastor Jan Throtz, who is the pastor of that church, that were helping there, and I, as I look at him, I say to Pastor Jan Throtz, what do you think? And, and he looks at me and he says, hey, it's your call. <laughs> so I finally consented, and I let her come to the front. And Marilka comes to the front, and she stands about where I am in the front, and she begins to cry. And she says on that Sunday morning, she says, I have watched you over the course of the last few months as you love Jesus and as you follow Jesus. She says, I want to thank God for putting people into my lives, into my life that love Jesus. I want to thank God for putting people in my life that will teach me how to follow him. And then she goes to say these words. She says, my desire with all my heart is to follow Jesus the way that you people follow him and to love him the way that you love him with all my heart. There was no say the prayer after me, but there was a public confession as she wept that morning and gave her heart, to, made a public confession of giving her heart to Jesus Christ. Since then, Marilka has wanted to reach her family. A few months before, I had, been, I had been joking. I told Lori I was going to have to start praying because, you know, the only thing I really miss in Poland is not being able to hunt because I love to hunt. And I had been joking with Lori. I said, you know, I said, Lori, I could live here the rest of my life if I could just hunt. Her stepbrother is a DNR officer in Poland. 
I've been wild boar hunting twice with him. And as we sit in that stand, wild boar hunting, I get to share the good news of Jesus Christ with this man. Her, chil- her, her stepbrother's children were living out of wedlock for eight years. And dad's heart was crushed. Because even in being a Catholic, you know, this was against um, God's um, regulations and, and against his rules. And, and as a father, he knew that. And, and I remember talking to Yudik about it in the blind. I said, well, pray about that. And I remember they brought their children in on purpose to meet us so that we could maybe talk to them about not living together. And we didn't do that. We didn't want to talk to them about that. But we talked to them about Jesus. And we, and we just shared love. We loved on them a little bit. About a month later, we received an invitation to a wedding where God begins to touch the heart of his children. Now, as Paul Harvey would say, you want to hear the rest of the story? This landlord, this house, was the house that the Argentinians had prayed over 10 months ago, and we didn't find out until after we'd been living there a number of, year, a number of months. That was the same place. Because when you live, learn to live in prayer mode, God will take difficult situations and he'll turn them into opportunities. You know, I look at the feeding of the 5,000 and I think about Philip. And I think about the economic situation that Philip thought he was in when he said to, he said to Jesus, he said, well, Jesus, if I, had, if I went back to work right now and I worked for the next six months, I couldn't afford enough money you know, for all these people to have a bite to eat. And then I think about Michigan and our economy. You know, maybe this is a test. Maybe what God is trying to do is to, to, to elevate his people into a, 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 a higher level of faith. That they won't put their trust anymore in the economy, but they'll, they'll put their trust in him. Because even though Michigan's economy has changed, God's economy has not changed. God is still in control. And when we learn to do what we can with what we have, and when we learn to not wait for perfect conditions... And when we learn to live our lives in prayer mode, you know what God does? He takes those things that seem impossible and he changes them into opportunities for him to to bless the world through our lives. I want to close with one more story, if I can. Marilka is such a wonderful lady. God has just done... I, I really believe with all my heart that God was searching for her. She was searching... I believe that she was searching for something and God was searching for her at the same time. And it was not a coincidence. It was nothing more than a miracle of God. And who knows that she might be the next Paul the Apostle for Poland. Who knows? You know, I don't know that. A week before... the, I think the day before we ended up coming to from, from Poland to America, she brought the neighbor. There's two apartments where we live in this house. She brought the lady down upstairs, the lady from downstairs upstairs to us so we could anoint her with oil and pray for her because she's dying with cancer. Another opportunity for God to reveal himself. But as we were getting ready to leave, Marilka came in and she gave us some presents. And one of the presents that she gave us at the very end was this. She says to me, she says, I know you're going to America, and I know that you're going to be visiting churches and people all over the states, because she knew what we were coming home to do. She says, when you go, she says, I want you to take this with you, and I want you to show it to, to every person that you meet. 
every church that you go to, I want, you to, I want them to see this. This is my heart. She goes on to say, when you go to those places, you take your, my heart with them and you tell them, thank you. Thank you that you sent missionaries to Poland because you have reached her heart. You know what? When we begin to do the things that God has called us to do, we touch the heart of people. And God wants you to touch the heart of people. And sometimes in touching the hearts of people, we go through difficult situations. But God wants you to know today, no matter what situation you are in, when you are serving Him with all your heart, you are still touching the hearts of individuals around you. Do what you can with what you have. Don't wait for perfect conditions, because if you do, you know what's going to happen? You're going to die. And learn to live your life in prayer mode. You can change the world. Will you bow your head with me this morning? Father, as I look over this congregation, Lord, I understand that probably in this very room there are people who are, who ha, who are without jobs. There are people here, Lord, who, are, who are, have problems with their families. Or there are situations in their lives that are very difficult. But God, you are above all of that. Because Lord, with you, those things that seem to be impossible are nothing more than an opportunity for you to reveal themselves. Because you want to reveal yourself through people. As your heads are bowed, maybe you're here and you say, I'm, I'm facing a situation right now. I'm facing a, a difficult situation, a test in my life. And I would like you to pray with me. Would you just simply raise your hand? Was everybody else who's got their eyes closed? Just raise your hand and say, yes, I see hands. Yes, all over the room, hands are going up. You know what? Jesus is going to answer your, your, your situation. Jesus is going to come into your situation as you put it in his hands. And he's going to turn that situation into that impossibility into an opportunity for him to reveal himself. Not only to, the world, not only to you, but to the world as well. Father God, I pray right now for these hands that were lifted, every one of them. God, you see the difficulties that they're facing. You see those things that seem right now as impossibilities. God, right now, by your, by your powerful hand, just like, Lord, you took those fish, you took those barley loaves, Lord, and you changed them into the, enough food to feed that 5,000, right now you answer these people, Lord, in their needs. Lord, you turn these situations into opportunities right now. And Lord, I pray that every one of them will pass the test in Jesus' name. I pray right now for this church, God, that you would continue, Lord, to let it be a, a lighthouse to this community. That, God, that it will continue to grow. That, God, that your word would continue to be preached. And that, God, that you would anoint the leaders of this church, Father, to do great things for the kingdom of God. I ask this now in your precious name.
Can we stand together? Praise the Lord. In these closing moments, as we reflect on what Rich has shared with us, I know I'm convicted that I need to pray more. And I need to be seizing more opportunities to be on my knees before the Lord. And if the Lord has just you know, challenged your heart as well, let's not just let these words just you know, go in one ear and out the next. Let's take those to heart. Let's, let's let God move in our hearts and let us be changed by his word and by the challenge this morning. Amen? Amen. Let me pray a prayer of benediction. You can be dismissed this morning. Father, we thank you, Lord, for stirring our hearts. Lord, thank you for the encouragement in your word. Lord, keep us on our knees. And Lord, use us even in difficult circumstances. And Lord, I pray for those that are hurting, God, that they would find rest in you today. And Lord, as I often pray, Lord, I pray that you'd go before us, behind us, and all around us. Lord, protect us. And we'll give you the praise. We'll give you all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Rich and Lori, if you would meet us out in the lobby and in